Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. So great to be here. Um, Yep, I do appreciate that curveball that Benj has thrown me this morning but I hope that I can really honour the Lord in, in all that I share. And, and firstly, just wanted to say thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. As Benj said, um, we've been buddies for the last couple of years, and in some strange way from a distance, even though I'm sure none of you have ever met me before, I feel like this is almost like a sister church of the church that we've planted, because we planted at almost the same time, shared a lot of uh, highs and lows together, which is kind of par for the course when it comes to church planting. Uh, and so consider it just a real joy to be here. And isn't this just the coolest space to be in? You know, I've long seen it on Instagram and gone, oh, I can't wait to visit that place. Um, so it is so great to be here today and just want to really thank Benj and Mel for having me. Um, so as Benj had said, um, part of what I do throughout the week, along with my lovely wife, Jess, we have three young kids, seven, five and two. Um, we planted Oak City Church three years ago, right in the heart of Blacktown. I'll share a little bit of that story today. Um, But also, in addition to that, I also work with a group called Exponential, um, whose heart is to really see more and more church plants of every shape, size, denomination planted all across um, the nation of Australia. And so I get to kind of connect with a lot of different church planters and church plants. and, And it just feels like a really exciting, opportune time for the Australian church at the moment. Um, as we hopefully see more and more of what the Lord wants to do across our great nation. And I consider it just a huge honour that I'd be able to share into this focus of of the Holy Spirit, this series called Ghost, which let's just all concur for a moment. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, it sounds pretty weird. It sounds um, maybe a little bit intimidating. We're kind of talking about Casper the Friendly Ghost um, and wondering, is it kind of, is it magic? How is it the way that it all works together? Um, and I just wanted to start off up front just saying that the Holy Spirit, plain and simply, as, as Benj has been leading us by way of ministry at the end of worship, is God's empowering presence with us. That is who the Holy Spirit is. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intricate part of the Trinity. It's not Father, Son and Holy Bible. It's not Father, Son and Holy Social Justice. Um, it's not any other range of things apart from God's Spirit by His Holy Spirit being with us. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, if Jesus chose to live and minister under the power of Holy Spirit, how can we not? As followers of Jesus who are practicing the ways of Jesus 2,000 years on, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be this very um, everyday experience of walking with Jesus. It's not abnormal, it's actually very normal when it comes to following Jesus. And it's a focus that's very, very close to my heart. A little bit of my story is that I um, became a follower of Jesus late in high school, Uh, didn't grow up in a Christian family, and when I did um, put my trust in Jesus and begin to follow Him, one of the very first camps or conferences that I went on as a young person was a conference called Soul Survivor. Some of you may have heard of Soul Survivor before. And Soul Survivor has this wonderful reputation of, in a very normal, natural, unweird way, of providing space for the Holy Spirit to be equipped 
in you know, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way that we don't have to hype God up or work Him up. It's not about plenty of lights and sounds and kind of doing all the right things and then the Holy Spirit may be with us and talk to us and bless us. It's actually about just creating space. Creating space where which we might be attentive to God and actually, just like Ben's prayed before, just pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. Just like the disciples in the upper room thousands of years ago who were sitting there going, what the heck do we do now? As followers of Jesus, nothing has really changed. <laughs> going, Lord, we need you. Would you come and meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Not just good preaching, not just good worship, not just great coffee, not just fancy looking buildings, but actually the Holy Spirit being with us. Um, and so that kind of passion has, has overflowed into my walk with Jesus. I definitely don't get it right most of the time. Um, but I can remember just a couple of years ago um, when Benj and I first met, initially I was working for Alpha. I was working for um, Alpha Australia. You've probably heard of the Alpha course. And I got to go over to, uh, to London and visit a bunch of the churches over there. And I walked into a, a church called um, KXC, the King's Cross Church. Um, and I, I must admit, I walked in and it was the most basic, unesthetic, non-sexy looking church gathering. It was nothing like this, all right? And I walked in not really knowing what to expect, but as, as worship started, it was just in a primary school hall, as worship started and as they just facilitated room for the Holy Spirit, um, I, I wept my way through that service. It was one of the most profound experiences that I have ever had in my life to just be part of a room, just be in a gathering where you just let the Holy Spirit have his way. We has full leading and we just get to join in and participate. And that really birthed within me a heart to want to lead a church and also be part of just sharing what it means to create space for the Holy Spirit. I truly believe um, that one of the great shifts that needs to happen for the church in Australia going forward is to reclaim some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, not in a weird way, not in a way that we make people feel intimidated that they have to do something or raise their hands or anything like that. But I think what um, a non-believing Australia is hungering for is authenticity. Are people who are authentically able to create space for God just to do his thing and we get to participate. One of John Wimber's most famous sayings that everyone gets to play. Not just the special people up the front who have the microphone, but everybody gets to play when it comes to the Holy Spirit's leading and ministry and the space that we create. Now, as I said, um, Benj has kind of absolutely thrown me a curveball this morning to talk about the devil. Um, and again, that for you, as, I, as we even begin to talk about that, may conjure up a whole raft of images or reactions. You may go, isn't the devil just that red cartoon with a trident? Um, you may have, you know... Uh, been made to feel really uncomfortable about the demonic at some point if you've been following Jesus for some time. And more often than not, some of these reactions come from a, a, um, a misconstrued or poor theology around some of these things. Uh, for some of you, you may be very sceptical, um, very uh, uncomfortable about this whole topic. And can I just firstly concur with you? That was very much my story. Um, I would definitely not say... Um, that it was something that I had a great awareness of or understanding of until more recent years. And so if you're feeling like that, then that is absolutely okay. You are, you are in a good group right here because I think for many of us, we, we can feel like that. 
But as I have gone about practicing the ways of Jesus, and I'm sure like many of you studying the Scriptures and the life of Jesus, when one intricately does look at Jesus' life and the things that he did and experienced, it is hard to go past the spiritual opposition that Jesus faced. Even as the Son of God, of which we, of course, are sons and daughters of God, adopted into his family, how can we expect that we are not going to face very similar opposition in this world? Paul talked about um, uh, avoiding the enemy's schemes in Ephesians chapter 6. Peter talked about, in 1 Peter, to be alert and of sober mind because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion. Let alone when we actually go about putting these things that Jesus invites us into as followers of Jesus, we will face opposition. And can I tell you, um, this kind of topic of spiritual warfare and the demonic really hit home for me as we went about planting Oak City Church. Um, I kind of had a, I thought I had a pretty good understanding of it until we really stepped onto the front lines. And it's not fully my story to share because it involves someone in my family, but we experienced a very intense season of spiritual warfare and coming face to face with the realities that there is an enemy. That there is an enemy that wants to dislocate you from God and doesn't want you to follow the ways of Jesus. He wants to take you out of God's presence and like a wounded animal will do anything that he can in order to achieve that. The enemy knows his, his future. The enemy knows where he is going and he is doing anything and everything possible to try and take us with him. I'm, I'm very, very thankful for my wife in particular when it comes to this. She is, is much more spiritually minded than me, um, has had a, an amazing array of experiences both in terms of her own walk with Jesus but also in seeing and experiencing some of these things that we read of in the Gospels in the developing world. Um, and she has brought great awareness and wisdom to my walk with Jesus. But the schemes of the enemy cannot be ignored in the life of the believer. And it's funny how, um, particularly for many of us, we, we may know that wonderful passage, John 10, 10, Jesus has came to give us life and life to the full. And yet in that very same verse, we tend to avoid that part that says that the thief comes to kill cheat and destroy. Um, Keith uh, uh, Soze in the movie The Usual Suspects, deep theology right here, he said that nobody believed he was real and that was his power. The greatest trick that the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Now I want to say over and above all of this, and I think it's, it's, it's obviously so right and good to affirm this again in our lives, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over everything, every principality, every power, every demonic being, and there is no need to be anxious when it comes to talking about the enemy and the demonic. But one of the worst things that we can do is just to ignore it, is just to bury our head in the sand and pretend like it's not there, whereas instead we should be aware, we should be on guard and not just ignoring it. Because as I said, Jesus said we would have all range of troubles in this world. And just like I said before, the enemy is, is a wounded animal wanting to do whatever he can to distract you, to deceive you, to dilute the word of God 
and actually to become an impediment to you following Jesus more wholeheartedly. John Eldridge put it this way. He said, we live in a love story set in the midst of a war. We live in a love story where Jesus is the, is the, is the ultimate victor and he has come and he has paid the price in order for us to have eternal relationship with him, yet the story is not as yet over and the enemy is going to do all that he can try and intervene in that incredible redemption plan. Now, I'd want to state today that all I can really do in talking about this stuff is to give us a bit of a starting point, okay? Like, I wouldn't dare try and say too much. There is too much exhaustive theology, the amount of books that have been written on this topic, um, all the different things that we could talk about. So what I'd really just like to do for us this morning is just to bring us two or three thoughts that might be helpful as well as just an encounter that Jesus had that I think is going to really set us up to be able to continue to think and pray and ask the Lord what he might want to do this morning. But for those of us that would like to do some more reading, um, I've just chucked a couple of books up on the screen that you may want to pay attention to. Um, The first is a book called The Screwtape Letters, which if you haven't read it, is one of C.S. Lewis's greatest works where he writes about um, the work of the enemy from the perspective of the demons. And actually the insidious nature and the ways that the demons go about trying to get into the life of those who are following Jesus. Uh, And it's written in the form of narrative, it's almost like a play, and it's probably one of the best books that you could ever read on this. And it's, it's nowhere near as intimidating as you think it might be. And actually it's wonderfully formational. So my encouragement would be that would be a great place to start. John Mark Comer, who I know is a mutual bromance of Benj and I, um, uh, he wrote a book recently called Live No Lies, which talks about the trinity of death, the devil, the world, and the flesh. I know we're going pretty deep pretty quick here, um, but that was a fantastic read. Uh, And I'm going to borrow some of his work in just a moment. And and lastly, the works of Neil Anderson, who, who wrote a book called Freedom in Christ, as well as Bondage Breaker, which I found to be very, very helpful. But the first idea that I want to share with us this morning, Greenhouse, is that ideas are the battlefield of spiritual warfare. Now, that may sound like just an overly simplistic kind of um, point to share with you this morning, uh, but the, the game plan of the enemy has always been to dilute truth, to, to, to play in the world of half-truths that get us to kind of miss the mark on who God is and who he says he is, and therefore our identity in him. Um, If you don't believe me, right back at Genesis 3, where the serpent approached Eve, her words to, I beg your pardon, the serpent's words to Eve were, did God really say? That is far more significant than you know. Did God really say? Did God really say that he was good? Did God really say that he was sovereign? Did God really say that he was faithful? Just a minor little twist that allowed the serpent to get into the ideas and the truth for Eve. And and I've got to kind of say it up front this morning that the devil knows God better than you and I do. He is the one that was banished from heaven 
You know, the book of James says that um, even the demons know the word of God back to front. So, so the enemy knows God, and his number one aim is to dislocate those who call themselves followers of Jesus from communion with the Father. He is hell-bent on that task and to take you away from God's presence. And the way that he does that is half-truths. He will get us to question, did God really say? Am I really safe and secure as a beloved child of God in communion with him? He will get us to, to see doubt in those things. And that's where deception creeps in. Like Eve, we begin to doubt God's words to us. We begin to place our trust in other things that we think that are actually far more safe and secure. The created things in our life actually take the place of the creator and life all of a sudden, before we know it, begins to become out of whack. And when that happens en masse, sin gets normalised. The work of the enemy gets normalised. And that's where the enemy has an absolute field day. And we look at the world around us and wonder why there is so much pain and why there is so much damage going on all around us. John Mark Carmen puts it this way. He says that deceptive ideas lead to disordered desires that gets normalised in a sinful society. It all starts with that half-truth. It all starts with that, did God really say? And before we know it, we put our trust in a whole range of other things. And when we do that together, well, we wonder why sometimes the world can be so dysfunctional. Um, I'm in a stage of life where my eldest son, Liam, is seven. And like a lot of seven-year-olds, he is infatuated with Star Wars. Maybe my wife and I had something to do with that. We may have led him down that path. Um, but he has very much started getting into Star Wars. And for me, a wonderful image or reminder of what the enemy likes to do is to lurk behind the scenes. Now, for those of you who are Star Wars fans, you'll already know what this image is about. This is the senator before he is to become Emperor Palpatine, pretty much the ultimate bad guy, okay? For those of you who are going, Charlie, you're a massive nerd, stop talking about Star Wars. He becomes the ultimate bad guy that is hell-bent on destroying the ways of the Jedi. But where it all started for the senator as he was trying to go about, you know, taking over the world was these little whispers. These little whispers on the shoulder of Queen Amidala, lurking, almost like a game of chess, trying to weasel his way in with tiny little things that may actually cause an inevitable disaster. The second thing that I want to say to us this morning is that the enemy is an opportunist. The enemy will use anything that he can in order to be able to get his way into our lives and bring about that distraction and that deception that I've talked about. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, he says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Now, I think it's really important to note um, here that uh, sometimes we kind of think, oh, yeah, well, the, the enemy is not going to get me. And, and partially, I think that's to do with the first world 
um, setting that we're in. The enemy knows that he doesn't have to do the whole kind of crazy stuff that we see in the Gospels. And in fact, C.S. Lewis talks about in Screwtape Letters, he is, he is plenty happy with you just living a busy life that ignores the enemy. That is a great strategy. You just keep going about your own destruct, um, destruction. He's plenty happy for that to be the case. But the enemy will also play the long game. I'm sure you've heard um, the line, you know, it's a slippery slope. It's just those little gradual things that take us away from God. Where you may not see it now, but, but friends, that's, that's the nature of deception. It's the old question, how do you know that you're being deceived? You don't. That's the nature of deception. You don't know when you are being deceived. And so how can the, the enemy get into our lives? Just a couple of quick ones. I don't think it's helpful to dig really deep on this today. Firstly, sometimes the enemy just doesn't have to intervene. He just lets us go about our business. Secondly, busyness. C.S. Lewis once said that if the enemy can't distract you, he'll just fill your time. He'll just make you busy. He'll just fill up your schedule. And before you know it, you've lost God's presence being all around us in so many other menial tasks that at the time we think are really important. Offence. Offence is one of the greatest things that will get between you and God. When you become offended and you uh, have unforgiveness in your heart, that actually begins to cause bitterness. That will create a wedge between you and the Father and that the enemy thrives off that. Sin, whether by omission or commission, pretty much sins that you've done or sins that have been done to you. And lastly, things that, that you may have exposed yourself to, either willingly or unwillingly. Now, the word that Jesus used time and time again of the devil is this word, diolobos, which literally means the accuser. Other words that are used were the tempter or the destroyer or the deceiver. And Jesus three times calls the enemy the prince of this world as well as the father of lies. Again, and I can't say it enough this morning, the enemy's number one job is to accuse and to deceive. To accuse the brethren that they don't belong to the body of Christ and to deceive us out of communion with God. Now, where do we go from here? I know we're dealing with some heaviness this morning, so thanks again for that, bench. Um, but I want to give some practical things before I just share with us out of one gospel account to wrap up and have some prayer ministry together. The first one is this. With every wound comes a lie, and with every lie comes an agreement. Now, a great example of this for me was when I was probably about 12 years of age. I was down by the beach having a great time, and I was playing on one of those um, uh, beams that kind of line the car park and I got a splinter almost this length in size in my foot. Now, being a 12-year-old, I didn't think it was important to tell my mother or to go to the doctor, and so for the next couple of weeks, I would just hobble around to the point where obviously my mother noticed and went, hey, we've got to go and do something about that. I was more prepared to just kind of hobble around and try to ignore the pain than I was to actually deal with it. And it can be exactly the same for us, friends, when we may experience something in life that has hurt us, that has caused us pain, that has maybe allowed the enemy to get a foothold in our life, rather than actually uh, tend to it and do something about it and bring it before Jesus, 
We instead live our lives around that wound. And we develop a lie about God and about ourselves that is actually unbiblical and unhelpful. Our life becomes an agreement with something that may have happened to us. A great example for me um, is when I was a child, and again, I had a, a, a lovely upbringing, but when I, when I was a child, I developed this mentality that said to me, I am only loved if I achieve something. So for those out there who understand the Enneagram, I am a purebred Enneagram 3, okay? My, my love is dependent upon how well I am doing. And it was actually a significant revelation for me in my young adult years to go, hang on a second, I've made an agreement that as long as I can carry everything and I'm doing well, then I'm loved. But the enemy had a foothold in that. To actually be, that, that, that is not what Jesus achieved upon the cross. He achieved something much greater than that, that I'm a beloved son of God. Not when I'm doing well, not when my marks or my grades or my bank account is looking topped up, but actually at all times. And one of the images I had to wrestle with, I don't know if you've seen the, the Greek god Atlas who feels like he is carrying the world. I had believed this lie in my life that I had to carry the world. And only then was I loved. For you today, maybe this morning has purely been about being able to pray a prayer in just a moment to go, Lord, what, what lie have I believed? What lie have I allowed to become an agreement that really I haven't received the full love and adoration of the Father? The second one is this. The enemy starts to lose his grip when you bring what was hidden into the light. Now, just like I, I quoted before from Peter, the enemy being like a prowling lion, the enemy wants to isolate you. The enemy wants to segregate you. He wants to make you feel like you are the only one struggling with that thing. You are the only one who might be experiencing spiritual warfare. That that sin that you have, you, you are unique to that sin. No one else in the history of humanity has ever struggled with that. When you think about it, that is actually very vain and conceited. Like, of course humanity has struggled with that. Of course there are things in your life and mine that unless we bring it before God in community, we can find freedom. Of course, James talks about that as well, to confess your sins to one another and to bring our sin into the light. And friends, spiritual warfare is best done in community. It is best done in community. It's the only way, in fact. If you try to do it on your own, then you are, a, you, I don't want to be rude, but you, it's not going to go well for you. Spiritual warfare is best done in community. And that's why Jesus sent out the two and the three together. And that, that, that sin or that trait or that thing that's going on in your life that you're maybe most defensive of, maybe that's where God wants to put his finger on, even as we pray together in just a moment. Now I want to bring us just one encounter that Jesus had, just to finish off our time. And many of you would be very familiar with this encounter. This is um, Jesus as he resurrects Lazarus from the tomb. Quite a radical encounter. And this has been an encounter that's been coming back to me really for the better part of the last month. And we're going to read in just a moment from John chapter 11. Now, Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. Many of you would know that. He was brother to Mary and to Martha. And in fact, this moment that we're about to read 
you could almost say was the moment that ultimately led to Jesus being taken to the cross. This was the moment that the Pharisees had been waiting for. They were watching on, eagerly hoping to trap Jesus. And when Jesus arrives at the scene, he, he, he meets a, a complaining Mary saying, hey, he's been dead for four days. You should have been here. And what I love about this scene as well, before we read, is that Jesus was moved. He was, he was moved to compassion. This is the, 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 the encounter where there is the shortest verse in the whole Bible that Jesus wept. Jesus was moved by his friend and his death. And what we're about to read, that he is about to call him out of the tomb and inevitably take his place in the tomb in just a couple of days on his way to the cross. And we read these words from John 11. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe me that you sent me. When he said that, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, when it comes to practicing the ways of Jesus, of course, it is Jesus that calls us from death to life. That is his job. We are called out of the tomb. We are called to follow him. We are called to live the resurrection life. But then we read these words. Jesus said to them, that's the disciples who were present, the community that was around him, those who were watching on, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It is only in community, friends, where we take off one another's grave clothes. It is only together where we actually realise the stench of death that has been upon our life, that Jesus has resurrected, that together in formation and in in spiritual warfare that we actually begin to take off the grave clothes and live the resurrected life. You can't do it on your own. I cannot do it on my own. I need the community around me to actually see those parts of my walk with Jesus that aren't yet fashioned into his likeness. And the enemy has a field day in that. Those ideas that we may have, those half-truths that we may have believed, to actually go, friends, we need one another. The enemy will do all that he can to intercept that and to play his role in distracting us away. Because for some of us, um, the, 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 the tomb has been laid open and we're still standing there in our grave clothes. The invitation is actually to throw off the bondage, to throw off the grave clothes that hold us back and to truly live that life and that life to the full. Um, one of the things that I, I love to be a part of, and I mentioned it right back at the beginning of our time, is actually just creating space for the Holy Spirit. And so while I've said a whole bunch of things and hopefully given us some stuff to think about on a Monday, what I am most excited about is where we together, as the people of God, actually pray that prayer together, come Holy Spirit, and just ask if there's anything that he wants to do amongst us together. And so I'm going to ask us to be a little bit bold this morning and actually to stand to our feet. Everybody gets to play. 
And just like Benj kind of led us in right at um, the beginning of my time sharing with you guys, is just to pray that prayer together, come Holy Spirit. It is one of the most ancient prayers that the church has ever prayed. And one of the ways that I find it to be very helpful to participate in this, if you are up for it, there's no manipulation going on here, all right? If you are up for it, is simply to open your hands. It's simply to open them out like you're to receive a gift. Because this kind of body language is pretty, no, I'm not up for this. But this kind of body language is, oh yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm here, I'm open. I'm prepared to receive and be a part of whatever you are doing. So I'm just going to pray that prayer and we're just going to wait upon the Lord and, and see if he wants to prompt anything this morning. And so, Father, we pray, come Holy Spirit. We ask that you would make us more aware of your presence this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and meet with your children again. Would you meet with people this morning in unique ways to them? The Word of God says that the Holy Spirit fills us up to overflow. We drink of your Holy Spirit this morning, Father. Not in a way that works up a frenzy, but in a way that you come down and in your kindness, you meet with us, Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is Jesus' very presence with us this morning. So come, Holy Spirit. You are so kind. You are so loving. You are a good, good Father. Now, this is the part where everyone gets to play. Please stay in that kind of posture of receiving. But I wonder in this room whether someone is potentially, you know, having an experience of God and his love for them that they, they may have never had before. Maybe they're, they're sensing the Holy Spirit in a way that is quite new to them. And if that is somebody in this room, not in a way that's going to get you up the front or anything like that, I wonder if you would just put your hand up. And, and you don't have to do it to make me feel better, okay? That's not what this is about. But if there is anyone in this room that is feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing God in a fresh and a new way right now, would you just give me a bit of an indication? It's quite all right. We continue to pray, come Holy Spirit. The second prompting that I really received this morning for us, and again, all of this is to build up the body, to make you follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. The second prompting that I sensed this morning was just someone is feeling a deepening commitment to Jesus this morning. Like you've heard some of this stuff that we're talking about, and you're going, I, I want to more wholeheartedly follow the kingdom of life this morning. And if that's anyone in this room, again, if you just would want to give me a bit of an indication, I'm not going to get you up the front. I'm not going to do anything like that, I promise. There's, there's, there's one over here, there's one over here, and there's one here. 
I wonder if, and again, maybe if you could just keep your hand up. I'm just wondering if for those who aren't sensing that, you can just open your eyes and, and just see that hand. And if you're nearby, can you just place a hand on that person's shoulder? Just a hand on their shoulder. Everybody gets to play. And, and we're just going to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to those people. If you're nearby, you can just say, bless this person, Lord. More of your spirit in their life. Continue to pour their love out upon them. Whatever you're doing in their heart right now, we just bless it. Holy Spirit, continue to minister, to, to do open heart surgery in a way that we can't. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is a bit of a strange one, but I've always believed the adage that um, if I get it right, somebody's life gets changed, and if I get it wrong, nobody dies. And so I'm, I'm going to speak it out, okay? But I feel like someone here this morning might have, have bone issues, like has had, has had a historical bone um, issues. I don't know much more than that, but just to say I want to be obedient to that. And so is there anybody here this morning that has bone issues? Again, I don't need you to say yes for my ego. I want you to experience God's love afresh. Is there anybody here this morning that has bone issues? That is quite all right, if not. Yes? Bone issues? Could we just have somebody put hands on a shoulder there as well? It would be lovely. We're just going to continue to pray. Just right there where you are. Lord, you wanted to get somebody's attention this morning and we believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit prompts us. And whether by eternal healing or by present physical healing, that your Holy Spirit would minister to this daughter of God right now. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in her heart as in heaven, Jesus. We pray freedom for the captives. She can sit down if that's going to be most helpful, just so she doesn't fall over. The Holy Spirit is so kind and wants to meet us where we are. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Maybe just continue to pray there. Bless that Holy Spirit. I had two more, and then I'm going to wrap up our time together. Um, is I, I felt like, um, and again, I could be really wrong here, I feel like God wanted to, to meet with a Julia this morning. Is there a Julia in the house? And if not, again, I walk away unoffended. But is there a Julia here? That's absolutely fine. And, and, and lastly, before I also want to kind of share something that I feel like God gave me for, for Greenhouse as well. Um, and this is, again, going to sound irregular. I thank you for your, your exploration this morning of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this community. I, I, I sense that there might be someone, or maybe it's several people, who um, they've been walking with an illegitimate fear of death. Like, it, it's, of course, none of us in an earthly sense, want to die, but you've actually been walking around with a fear, a fear of death. 
like a fear that is, has riddled you and played upon your mind. And, and, and the Holy Spirit just wants to say that he sees you and he wants to set you free from that. And actually there is life to be had. So again, I know this is a bold invitation, but is there, is, is there anyone where that applies to this morning? We've got one over here, two. Maybe for those, who, as you look around the room, again, everybody gets to play. This is not about someone being up the front. Everybody gets to play. If you see a hand in the air that's not got someone's praying with them, I wonder if you could just move around the room and place a hand upon their shoulder It's not about the person who's praying, it's about the one that we're praying to. And so Jesus, I just would want to pray for those people right now that have been bold in sharing that. We know that you are in the very present moment. And the Gospels are full of Jesus inviting us to not worry about tomorrow, but sometimes that's just, that can play upon our mind. So I want to pray a newfound sense of freedom upon those people. Those fears that kind of latch on in our lives and in our minds and that actually begin to dictate the way that we live. Lord, I pray freedom upon those people. I pray that they would know, even in the Holy Spirit's prompting this morning, that God sees them, that he has given me that word this morning just for them, that you have God's attention. He wants to minister directly to your heart. You are not just another face this morning. He sees you. You are seen by God. You are loved by God and you are called by him according to his purposes. We pray freedom upon those people. Now, the last one that I wanted to share, just as an encouragement to, to Greenhouse, Um, and the Lord just spoke this to me during worship, was just to say that one of the greatest testimonies that you are going to be able to offer to Long Jetty is being a people of God's presence. You may think that you can be out there being more efficient doing other things, but there is actually nothing that is going to be more potent to Long Jetty than being a people of his presence. Just like when I had that experience at KXC that marked me significantly, that was because of other people that had been pursuing God's presence. And I really felt led to say this morning that as you as a church family lean into the Holy Spirit, lean into God's presence, that is going to have a far rippling effect. So Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for each and every person that calls at home and that is yet to call at home. And Lord, we just want to again say over this church and every church that you are Lord, that your Holy Spirit has full reign in this place and in our hearts, and that actually just like when we look at the book of Acts and when the Holy Spirit had its way, oh my goodness, no human mind could contain it. And so I would just want to ask, Lord, this would be the reputation of Greenhouse, that the presence of God would be known here amongst your people. And not just that, but as they walk the streets, as they buy coffees, as they interact with their Monday to Saturday, the Holy Spirit would be with them. In Jesus' name.